Welcome to the Accessible Yoga Podcast, your weekly source for questions and answers around equity in yoga, hosted by Jeevana Heyman and Amber Carnes. Join us each week for powerful conversations with thought leaders at the intersection of justice, knowledge, and practice. Welcome to episode 35. I'm your host, Amber Carnes. In episode 35, Jeevana sits down with Linda Sparrow to talk about creativity and finding our voice. The former editor of Yoga International and Yoga Journal magazines, Linda has been teaching, talking, and writing about yoga for more than 20 years. She has a long and varied career as a writer, editor, speaker, and mentor in the holistic healing arena with a special emphasis on women's health. Jeevana and Linda talk about how personal practice can help us find our authentic voice and how they each get into the mood to be creative. This conversation invites us to consider how we use our voice and our yoga practice and how we can trust our authenticity to express what we truly wish to communicate to others. Hope you enjoy this one. Here we go. Hi, this is Jeevana. Uh, my pronouns are he and him. And I'm so excited to be back here on the podcast with my guest this week, Linda Sparrow. Um, hi, Linda. Hi, Jeevana. Hi, thanks for being here today. Uh, Linda, I, I'm so excited to talk to you. Um, and I just as a way of introduction, I just want to first say that, you know, you're the person that really helped me um, get my first book published and really actually not just get it published, but really inspired me to to keep writing and to, to write a book. So I just want to say how grateful I am to you and excited to share your wisdom with our listeners today. Oh, thank you. Um, I wonder if you could tell us a bit about your background, because you have such, like, you've done so much <laughs> in yoga. That's eclectic. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think that maybe a, a little bit different than a lot of people in the yoga community, I came to yoga actually not knowing anything about um, asana. Um, I... I was like an 18-year-old, you know, anorexic, I mean, flower child living in Santa Barbara. And I, I got into meditation in, in TM, actually, to kind of save myself a little bit. Um, and from there, I met a professor who was this beautiful um, connection between East and West. His mom was an ex-nun, Catholic nun from Spain, and his dad was a Brahm, ex-Brahmin priest. And he taught me so much about um, Buddhism and, and Hinduism, and, and he would chant in Sanskrit, and I just became enamored by the language and, and the mythology, and I just wanted to know more. And, and so I had this quest on, on learning all I could. And I went on and to graduate school and I, I played with translations and, you know, learned Sanskrit and did all that stuff. And, and the only time I ever knew anything about the physical aspect of yoga was when the Maharshi um, and TM gave us a little booklet of 12 asana. And my reaction, was, Oh, hell no, I'm not doing that. You know, it's just so dumb, just like dorky, you know? And I thought, you know, I was, I was, doing a lot of jazz dance and I was really physical. I'm like, oh, no, I'm not doing that. So then fast forward to the night, like 1991, 92, I went to Yoga Journal and I became their managing editor and they had a, a class that we got to go to twice a week uh, for our healthcare. And it was my younger yoga class. And again, I hated it. It just didn't work for my body. I couldn't figure it out. It, I was put into these, you know, correct postures that, that, hips just really, really rebelled. And, and then I met, then we had another teacher come in, um, who still lives in uh, Santa Rosa. And I don't know, Jeevana, there was, she had a younger sensibilities sort of, but she was Kripalu trained as well. And I just trusted her. And I, I fell in love with the way that she taught and her language and the way that she connected things that I felt were true about the, the hidden or the deeper teachings. And, um, and that started me on, on a path of at least incorporating and, and connecting with with asana. So I've been in the yoga community for, I don't know, a million years, I guess. And, um, right. And, um, I wrote, um, seven books. I know. Um, I know, you know, kidding. And then I just thought I can't, I can't write anymore. And so my Dharma right now has been 
to amplify other people's voices. And I'm having a great deal of fun doing that. I, I really do enjoy that that sense of brainstorm and its sense of really excavating um, and and what my one of my teachers says, listening to what wants to be known is is something that that I love. Can I ask you though, just to go back, you, you just you mentioned anorexia, so I just want to touch on that because I, I, I that got my attention. I mean, how how was that? In, did yoga help you with that? Was anorexia because it seemed like that the practice can can be really um, can go either way. I think it could be used in a way to exacerbate an eating disorder or it could be used as treatment. And I'm just curious what your experience was. Right. Um, actually, meditation helped me a little bit, um, certainly more than asana did. I didn't think asana, I didn't want to do asana because it wasn't physical enough. Um, you know, and part of my challenge with eating at least initially is that I didn't know how to nourish myself. Um, I grew up um, in a way that, that that wasn't encouraged. Um, my um, Who I was as a person wasn't really encouraged. And so I didn't really know how to feed that. Um, and so when I went to college, I weighed 85 pounds, and it, but it wasn't so much until later that that became a connection with how I looked. Um, and so meditation helped me understand that I have a relationship with my body that can be actually kind and, and, and gentle and tender. I had never had that before. Um, but then, of course, through college and young adulthood, um, it became much more about my looks. And so I just kind of put asana aside. And if I did it at all, it was like a heavy vinyasa practice. Um, and then one day someone, um, incur- I guess it was actually Judith Lassiter, I, I went into, I was living in uh, the Bay Area and I went to one of her classes in in San Francisco, and and we did some restorative, which I hated. Oh my God! Honest to God, to be like silent with my thoughts and not move was way too much. But what Judith did was, we went from restorative, or we went from asana, active asana, into restorative, and she said to me. Stop doing asana as though you're some kind of vata deranged person. She said, I want you to move as though you have this kappa, this this grounded, slow, deliberate moves. Mm-hmm. And maybe for people who don't know, I mean, that's like uh, there's Ayurvedic um, terms, you know, like Bata is that kind of uh, airy wind, like very fast, um, you know. Yes, and the kapha is the heavy, more stable. Well, kapha is like fast and, and fast thinking, fast moving, not necessarily discerning. Yeah, and kapha is that 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 more earthy, connected, and it was lovely, Chief. And I really, I really appreciated that. And it, it began slowly, but it began the switch in how I approached. Mm. Well, I appreciate you mentioning it because I think um, eating disorders are something that's not spoken about much in yoga. And I think it's, um, you know, it, it affects so many people um, in, in, the, in general, but especially in the yoga world, I think when there's a physical practice involved. So I just feel like we need to be talking about it more. So I know that's not our topic today, but I appreciate you sharing your experience. Well, me too, because really quickly, one of the the problems with in our community is that the more that we need to be out there and rise above the noise, um, you know, and and the busyness of not only of our lives but all of the people who want to teach so desperately and all the people who want to make a difference, is that we become much more um, out there. And we have to look a certain way. We have to be inspiring. And the more that we're on videos and, and Instagram live and all this, that there's this, this sense that we have to look a certain way. And I think that's really, really um, painful. And it's quite a challenge for yoga teachers as well as yoga students. Yeah. And I think if I could connect that to our topic of um, finding your voice and, and through writing, I, I feel like... Um, 
all of that, that's a, a lot of that is based on that kind of insecurity and self-doubt and imposter syndrome that, I mean, I think almost everybody has those things, but as a, as a teacher, I think when we're trying to, yeah, like you said, rise above the crowd or make a name for ourselves or make a living, whatever it is that we, th- those voices can get louder. Um, and, and actually I know just for myself, like that writing, that's always the challenge in writing is that fighting with the, my own, like fighting with myself, you know, writing is like going to battle sometimes with myself, um, you know, editing myself, criticizing myself, and then thinking, well, actually, these are the voices that are needed, the voices of, of everyone, you know what I mean? Like everyone's voice has a place and there's value in our struggle. I don't, I don't think it's not a perfect voice that we're trying to find, right? Like the perfect person isn't supposed to write a book. Well, God, no. I mean, right. Right, nobody would ever write. I mean, exactly. I know. But that's, I think that's what happened to me. You know, I just got so, I got so insecure about it. I thought, well, who am I, you know, who am I to write a book? Exactly. And, and you know, an editor told me a long time ago because um, that I had to stop attributing everything that I know to someone else that I had to pretty much own what I know. And of course that was super hard for me because I thought, well, I must've learned it somewhere, you know, and I remember. And and the thing about our community is we have a certain language. We have a certain jargon that we often fall back on. Um, And if we, and so a lot of us say the same things all the time, right? And, And so what happens when, when I work with writers is that I realize in, in my own my own writing too is that jargon the way that we the way we talk about things, the way that we put them on the page, we can be really lazy about our language. And so if you read something like I writing something and, and then I think I'm gonna read this out loud, what exactly does this say? What does it even mean? Right? So so one of the things that I struggle with and one of the things I teach, one of the things I try to do for myself is not so much worry about what I put on the page because, you know, we, we often just, when people write, they go, okay, I have this audience. I'm going to write directly to this audience. I have this message. I'm going to, or speak or, or whatever I'm doing teach yoga i'm like my voice is i'm directing this to one particular audience and so i have to say this and so our world of words becomes very narrow and our world of ideas and um and that's no way to start writing that's no way to start teaching a class is no way to to start speaking to an audience um I, i i guess what i'm saying is that we don't want to write or speak or teach what we know. We want to write, teach, or speak what we wonder about. Hmm. That's so interesting. Yeah, I, if you only start, if you only stay there, Jivanel, where do you go? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would think about, I maybe say that a little differently personally, but I, I, I think I know what you're saying. Like, is it that you're, you're saying you have to kind of... Um, well, I don't know. I don't even know how to say it. I hadn't thought of it that way. It's like when I'm writing, sometimes there's um, like an imagining that's happening. It's a creative process. So there's a creative, the creativity comes in, mm-hmm. not just in the words, but also in the, the concepts that I can take an idea and then really expand on it and kind of put myself. Um, yeah, I can I can think about it differently. I can put myself in other people's shoes think about what is this what does that feel like for someone else to think about that idea do you know what i mean is that what you mean to really explore an idea not just repeat the same things that i know over and over not not when you sit down to write a book i mean you know it's like what we want to be exploring um we we want that freedom and spaciousness that that we always say that that's when i teach yoga my understanding of yoga is is that it creates space and freedom in my mind and in my body and it, it creates a relationship between my mind and my body 
right? And so when I write, I don't want to, even though you know me, I write on deadline. I write because I, that's how I make my living. But if that's all that I did, Jeevan, I would never explore anything else. And so when I sit down to write now, I do a thing called spiral writing. And spiral writing is actually, I do this sometimes before I teach a class or or a workshop. I start with one sentence, and it might be a sentence or a phrase I find in my favorite book, something inspirational. It might be something that I'm struggling with, like, you know, Um, And I just write it down and I set the timer for six minutes. And all I do is write. I write whatever comes to, you know, and if I can't think of something, I think, oh, I can't think of a thing to say. I just keep writing, you know, blah, 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 until, until it starts coming again. I stop at six minutes. I breathe for a couple of minutes. I read whatever I wrote and I circle one phrase or sentence or even word. I put that on a clean piece of paper and I go again, six minutes. I do the same thing one more time. And what it does is it it just frees my mind and it lets me then I mean, I just find things that I didn't even know I was thinking about. And so, you know, when it's so helpful. And like when you're writing a book and you're on this chapter and you get stuck and you think, shut up, I'm never, you know, I, I can't, I, I just can't, you know, I thought I knew this topic. I really can't. And so you, you put a phrase that where you're stuck and you do that and you do that for like, you know, you're, you can do that for 10 minutes. You can do that for 15 minutes, whatever, you know, whatever you're doing, 18 minutes. And then sometimes just, doing that gets you unstuck. Hmm. Well, it's funny because I hadn't heard you describe that before, but I, I feel like I don't do exactly that, but I think in many ways, um, it, it is kind of the creative process is like that, like building on a theme, finding something like an idea that really comes to the surface. And that's really like, for me, it's more like something I have to talk about. Like there's something I really want to express. I want to say, and that idea is like, how do I say that one thing? And then I write around that idea that, but, and what happened was like, actually from my first book, there was one image that was really powerful to me that I, I wrote one sentence in the, in my book, uh, accessible yoga that had, I used the image of a prism and light through a prism. I don't even know why that just stuck in my head. And that's how the, my second book that I just finished actually came out of that like image that I'd had in my mind. Um, you know, kind of this idea of, of light getting, being, um, ter- white light turning into a rainbow. Cause I, I was thinking about how in yoga, we're often trying to control this kind of, you know, the kind of the, <laughs> The messages we're often getting is control the mind, control the body, limit, you know, this like limitations. And I just felt like very open with my practice, like it's expansive, expansive. And it reminded me of light turning into a rainbow, white light turning into this beautiful rainbow. And I, that's just the image that inspired my second book of like, how can I express that kind of a, a feeling, you know, that, that yoga can be expansive and rather than being something that uh, is limiting to our to our, not just in our practice, but the way we interact with the world. So that, that my book is really more about that around how the, the teachings of yoga and the practice can guide us to, um, our kind of the way we live our lives and the way we, um, connect with society through social justice and politics and all that. Exactly. And, you know, that brings us around to the whole idea of why it's so important, whether you ever write anything for, for, you know, public consumption, so to speak, or not, is it's the sense of finding our voice that's so incredibly critical because by not listening to what wants to be known without without being in relationship to your own voice, your own experiences, your own wondering and wandering, um, how then can you really speak your truth, right? How 
how do you even know what your truth is? How do you even know um, if, if we're always focused on controlling, not only controlling the body and the breath and practice, but also sometimes in our community, we get really narrow about what we personally like, what I deem as proper yoga or, you know, like one of the things that's so wonderful about accessible yoga is that you are you are enabling us to expand that definition. But as teachers and I mean, not but, but as teachers, it's really up to us to I mean, we cannot teach what we don't practice, what we don't live. And so if we don't know what our expression of this practice is, if we don't know what our voice is and where, where, what our relationship is to our bodies, to our breath, to one another, um, how do we know? How do we, how do we serve? How do we know what we, you know, what, um, how we can benefit humanity if, if we don't understand our own voices and if we don't understand what prevents us from really listening, you know, really being kind, really understanding where, what stops us, what our, what our own privilege does, what our own biases do, if we, if we can't hear ourselves, if we don't truly know what our voice is. Yeah. I, I love that. I, I think that's, it's really a problem in, in yoga. I would say that if you look at most yoga books, um, there's like this tendency towards, I don't know, the academic and, you know, quote, professional. <laughs> and yeah. I, I rarely see yoga books that are personal and creative and exploratory. You know, I feel like that's, that's what, I mean, this, this second book of mine is very personal. I speak, talk a lot about my personal story sure. just because I felt like in order to share something different, like a different perspective on the teachings, I have to back it up with my own experience. And that was hard for me. Like I couldn't have done that. I think in my first book, like I feel like in my first book, I was insecure. I had to write something that was like looked, I don't know, a little more professional, but I just started <laughs> to see that is the key. Like that this is a, it's a spiritual practice exactly. and, um, you know, it's, uh, it's spirituality to me is the same as creativity. And so if we take the creative out of it, we've like destroyed yoga. You know, if we've made it this kind of like very um, systematized, just scientific approach only, I think we've really stopped yoga from growing and expanding the way I think it's been doing for thousands of years. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And, and, you know, I, I, don't want to get into a, a whole discussion of what I think is is the problem in American yoga, um, but I will say that we have created, you know, by looking at and, and by focusing on, for example, here's just one example, by focusing on the therapeutic model of yoga, the the the. Um, um, physical therapy model yoga, if you will. Um, I don't want to go so far as to say that I feel like um, that we're co-opting yoga or uh, appropriating it, but it does. It it's just this veneer um, that I have trouble um, have trouble embracing. You know. If so, like when, when I wrote a book, I, I was asked to write a book on prenatal yoga a few years ago, a couple years ago. Um, and so I did, and there were certain restrictions or, or certain um, reasons for the book's organization. Um, and, you know, I was fine with it, but, but I said, you know, that in creating yoga for pregnancy, it's not just about what sequences I do and how to modify them, so to speak, even though you and I hate that word, but you know, without 
adapting or making them accessible to pregnant women, you know, that's fine, whatever. But what I really want, I said, I need to really explore why yoga in the first place. You know, what does yoga do for me in in understanding my body, my relationship, and my the beauty of me being able as as a woman, as a body, as a vehicle to give birth to whether I give birth to a baby, whether I give birth to ideas, to whatever, that yoga helps me understand that power and find that my power in um and my truth and my voice so that you know as as a woman who who's giving birth i have a voice that is strong enough and and that i feel secure enough and confident enough that i can say this is you know this is my truth this is what i know about my capabilities or or whatever it is whether it's pregnancy or you know writing a book or teaching yoga it's it's this sense that i have that that I have power, you know, that my words are, are have power. And then with those words that have power comes an incredible sense of responsibility. Those words, that that power is not abused, that those words are kind, that, you know, even when we say, you know what, I don't agree with what you're doing or whatever, that the, that the truth that or the, the words and, and the, the offering that I'm giving is done, you know, with a himso. Hmm. Yeah, I think, I think that's an interesting idea as a responsibility of a writer. <laughs> yeah, it's well, a big responsibility. You said about your second book, you know, about, um, about really, really giving us as readers a, a glimpse of of where this is coming from and like why is you know how is this your truth and where it came from and how you nurtured it or and sometimes how you dismissed it or whatever those things are you know to come come forth with that is super powerful and i know when when i was working with sean corn on revolution of the soul one of the things that was really interesting was that she was she was talking about stories that had happened to her narratives that she was recounting that had happened uh, way before she knew anything about yoga. And what was so wonderful is as I read those out loud to her, that we could see where those teachings came from, where there were deep teachings in some crazy stories that really on the face of it, you would think, okay, here's a story about, you know, working in a a, um, porn club and doing this and that. But if you really read them and really think about the the true teachings of yoga, there were so many beautiful teachings in there without ever once knowing anything about where to put your foot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I think that's the benefit of sharing the personal story is you can kind of share, um, well, we learn so much through storytelling. I mean, I think as, as humans, it's such a great way to learn from each other. And I mean, I think that's what, that's what good writing can do is give us a message through a story. It's like, it softens the blow a little bit, sometimes of a painful lesson, if it's wrapped in a engaging story. Uh, it's true, but it also it also grounds the story in real in someone's mm-hmm. reality, you know, and so I could hear your story and it's not mine, but I could go, Oh my gosh, I get it. Okay, so like in looking back at my own life, I can see that where that would be a thread, right? Or, you know, okay, I can see how those teachings would have been translated like that. That's, you know, that's so fascinating. And no matter, even even, even if you were to write, I don't know, an article for a magazine and they wanted to know, okay, tell me about yoga and service. The difference between you writing it and me writing it or reading Wikipedia or whatever is the energy, the point of view, the, the 
connection we have with our own experience and our own voice. Right? And without that, you are a chronicler. You are someone who puts down information. And that's awesome too, but that's not really what we're looking at when we're finding our voice and we're writing our story and we're speaking truth. Right. And this is what I, I guess we're the theme here. And I just want to echo it again is just that um, all of our stories matter and all of our voices matter. And actually, there, like I said, there's been, unfortunately, this kind of, um, I don't know what it is, obsession with academics in yoga, trying to like prove that we're real and that yoga is, I don't know what, something that we can... I guess, like you said, chronicle or we can trace back. And I mean, those are wonderful things. I mean, academics are great, but I'm not an academic. And so I was, I really struggled with that as I was writing was like, you know, talking about yoga philosophy in ways that I just how it feels to me, you know, this is how I interpret something. And I, I had to give like a little bit of a um, disclaimer in the beginning of the book, like I'm not an academic, you know, this is my story, you know, just I had to say that because I, I wanted to feel free to then just share from my experience as a practitioner, you know, and I think I think that's valuable. And I hope people listening will consider that themselves, that, you know, their personal stories are valuable. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, yeah. there's there would be nothing. Um, how do I even say this? Yoga philosophy, yoga itself would absolutely mean nothing without our ability to translate that into our lives, without to make it our own. And so I actually come from an academic background. My master's work was all about the Vedas and the sutras and blah, 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 um, many, many years ago, of course. And so, but the way that that it has helped me is that I've taken it into my life. I have a relationship with what I learned. And so it's different, Jeevan. I mean, you know yoga philosophy. It's not like you you think of, when you think of yoga, you think of going to Gold's Gym and working out and then taking a sauna and going home. You know, you know that, that there is something working within you that's yoga. So you don't academic to know that you know but but to know that yoga is yoga serves us in any way that we will allow her to do that um and so but if we don't take it into our daily lives it might as well just be an academic book it might as well just be something all dusty that you keep on the shelf you know, and, and yoga, you know, even though we know, and there are many people that probably won't agree with me, although we all know that yoga has been co-opted and, and there's a lot of things that we could say about how we've appropriated yoga. 100%. I agree with that. And at the same time, I also know that yoga changes and moves and morphs to accommodate the people it is serving. So how do we, how do we reconcile that? Right. Exactly. I mean, and that's, that's really what I was trying to write about. And I, I think it's very important. And I think that you hit the nail on the head because I think we have to avoid appropriation, but also make yoga, um, applicable and, um, useful right now. You know, it's a living practice and it's not a it's not something you just put in a museum or on a bookshelf. It's something like you, it, like you said, it's something you live in your life. And I think for that to be the case, it has to grow and change with with us as we do and with society. One of the things I just um, I just wrote a blog about this point that I, I find that there's there's kind of two camps in yoga. There's like the there's like the very modern contemporary practice, very like modern postural yoga. And, and those people tend to avoid like the yoga teachings in a sense, because the focus is so much on the physical and, and the commercial. And we know a lot about that. And then on this other hand, though, there's this very kind of like um, traditionalist academic side. And I think there's also some problems there in that the traditional academic approach tended to focus on um, a practice that was designed for monks. And 
And we're not monks. I mean, most of us are householders. You know, I would say 99.9% of yoga practitioners today are not monks. And I think our engagement with yoga needs to shift because of that. And even in the teachings, you can find different rules for monks versus householders. And I don't think we've brought enough awareness to that, that, to that topic. We've kind of glossed it over. And I think a practice for a monk is very different than someone who is engaged in society. And I think that's where, to me, yoga is political because as a householder, my life is political. Yes. I'm engaged in society. I agree. And I really believe that, um, that without, I mean, certainly speaking for myself, because I guess that's really all I, I really know is that I couldn't show up in the world in a way that I, that I want to, and that I hope I do without the benefits of a deep practice. I, I don't know how to do that. And so, you know, I think that the whole idea of appropriation, like I never want, and and, and I know it makes me nervous um, and concerned for new yoga teachers who try on all of these things. And, you know, like they learn that they, they have to say certain things at the beginning of class, at the end of class, they have to string these theories together without a deeper understanding. They have to wear certain things or whatever they understand, you know, and what I'm saying is that that to be to blindly go into a practice and take things that don't belong to us is appropriation. For, for me, the true teachings of yoga start when things happen like, I don't know, like my water heater explodes and shit's happening. I'm on deadline and I all this stuff is happening and I can't figure shit out. And all of a sudden I think just stop, you know, where's my practice? Just, you know, and so my practice becomes my own. It becomes my way of being in relationship to myself and to everything around me. Right. And that's going to look, but I won't know it if I don't know myself, if I can't listen to what wants to be known. I mean, I think appropriation is sometimes misunderstood. I mean, it's it's about the the misuse and abuse. You know, yeah. it's it's about selfishness and, and yeah. gain and and, yeah. and I think and colonialization and, and that's something that we're all are engaged with. It's, it's it's just an aspect of our lives. But I think it's yeah. not appropriation to engage with a practice in a respectful way. You know, and I and I think um, I something that like Susanna Barkataki, who talks about appropriation so well, she she I can't remember the exact quote. She talked something about how uh, she said something about how um, you know, you know creativity is the antidote um, to appropriation, and I and I love that because it's you know like I, yeah like I said before around creativity is like that spirituality. So it's not like creating something new, like not building a new yoga brand. That's not what she means. No. But she means like really exploring the practice. And how it applies to your life. That's what I think she means. Oh, I think so too. And and again, we go right back to to embodying it. You know, what what is your expression of this practice? You know, that's part of voice, isn't it? It's like and that's why, like in writing, just you know, if if people had who are inclined to 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 want to she had an opportunity to just explore their voice like it you know write whatever they want without any desire to be published or to think you know just to explore who they are it's like what is it mulan kundera says love is investigation one of the ways that we investigate is by playing with voice, playing with story, playing with, you know, who we are to ourselves and who we are to others. So do you have like other than you gave some great ideas for writing, um, spiral writing, and I know you're doing a course on this, but do you have other, um, I don't know, words of encouragement for (laughs) yoga writers? Or, or yoga creatives. I mean, I think that's part of it is like, how do we engage with our practice in a creative way, yeah. speaking about it or sharing it um, or well, just I, teaching? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really important to um, and do it in a multiple ways. I just happen to be a writer. Um, so I think that there are other forms of, of playing with voice, but um, I think it's super important to 
and I do it through prompts. Okay. So, so there's tons of different ways in, and, and I could give you a whole series of, of prompts to explore. They're, they're usually like one sentence or something about, you know, what wakes you up or, you know, there, there are specifics and, and broader prompts, but I like to, to write because I, how do I describe this? I think that that in the in our desire to teach yoga and in our desire to serve and to bring forth our gifts, we have to know what they are and we have to be able to play. Um, you know, Susanna's right. We have to be able to to feel creative and to move things around and to try new things on. And one way to do that is is to write. Um, I know a person who actually, instead of writing, she records her voice. She records what she's thinking about, um, which is kind of what we're doing right now. But, you know, it's, it's, it's not being afraid of moving beyond what you learned in teacher training, for example. Like, you know, okay, I, oh, this is what... This is what satya means. I always have to, you know, tell the truth. I always, you know, it's like play. Just take a concept of yoga that you want to teach or, or, you know, make your own. It's like, what do we say about personal practice? Yoga never becomes personal until you take it home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that idea about speaking, by the way. I, I would do that when I was stuck uh, in my with my book. I would sometimes go to my um, phone and do a voice recording and just speak what I was feeling. And then, you know, the phone yeah. would transcribe it in notes. And then I would um, use that as the beginning of a section to write. I mean, sometimes that would help me get moving, you know, and get also because I'm used to speaking as a teacher. I've been teaching for so long. Yeah. Speaking is a lot easier for me sometimes than writing. But um that's a great tool but then i have a question oh go ahead i was going to say another thing i mean each one of us has kind of crazy ways of freeing the mind for me two things i take i take a shower there's something about water warm water flowing that that frees my mind up to just wander around and i need like a whiteboard or something in the shower That's there's, a good idea. Oh my God! There's so many ways that I have, I have solved a, a problem in writing, yeah. or you know. The, the other thing is that I started way, way too late because I've also been teaching for a number of years. But I often will <clears throat> approach a class or a workshop that I'm doing, and I feel like I don't know anything. Jeep and I. It's, it's a thing that happens to me where I just really don't ask many questions because I really don't have anything to say, right? So I'll sit down and suddenly it's like, I mean, if I were, you know, back in my hippie days, I would say I, I'm channeling something, but things just start to flow. And, and I tape that now because I don't necessarily know but I get comfortable. Maybe I, I'm in a in a setting that feels comfortable, and I just start talking. And sometimes things really um, come forth that I've been grappling with. And then also like cleaning your house. Yeah. Taking. Well, I was going to say for me, gardening. Like that's what I. You shower for me. Gardening was always the answer. If I was stuck, I would just go into my garden and just do something with the plants to talk, talk to them, <laughs> think yeah. about them and walk around. Walking around helps me a lot yeah. going on walks. Yeah. Sometimes doing, recording my voice while I'm walking. That was sometimes good talking to my phone. And you know, people call that procrastination and stuckness and whatever, but your mind, I mean, I cook. Sometimes I go into the kitchen, I crank up really loud music mm-hmm. and I Yeah, music. Yeah, music and, is very helpful. Right? And in the back of my head, unbeknownst to you know me in a way things are just percolating things are just loosening up and then i begin again you know Um, that's the piece i want to ask you about just maybe we don't have that much time left but i wanted to say like to me there's you talked about the importance of having a practice in terms of living the teachings but i also found that my practice is important in terms of not just writing but in editing and that 
to me, editing is almost like more important because I am. Yes. It's so often if I'm in a certain mood, I'm, I'm too harsh on myself and I might be, you know, kind of taking away from the writing or sometimes, you know, I'm in enough of a neutral place from, I think from practicing that I can actually see my writing clearly. And that being able to see your own writing clearly, I think is a real challenge. Oh my God, it is. And sometimes we, we share too much. Sometimes we end up centering ourselves when ourselves are not really what people need at that moment. You know, the other thing is to read your shit out loud to yourself or to somebody who makes you slightly nervous because then not only are the words there and the understanding and and the information but the lyricism of your words your own particular energy in your voice needs to come through and so the only way you can really feel that and understand it is to hear it any other advice about editing any other thoughts um, (laughs) I will say one thing. Do not throw away anything. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to edit something, make a copy. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. edit it. And again, take, I mean, there's so many extraneous words. Like, you know, you can just like, I don't know. I, I've become more and more of the um, ilk of, of not being so flowery like I used to be. Yeah. Somebody once told me to put the word shit or fuck or whatever um, in place of every adjective. (laughs) (laughs) And then go back and see how many I could delete. Yeah, I like that. Also, I think, um, I mean, to me, that's the most exciting thing at this point when I can edit a sentence and remove half of it. I'm just like, oh, I got so excited. You know, it's like if I can make this point more clearly, that is the biggest thrill for me. You don't want people to have to take so long to enter your sentence. So, you know, maybe you ought to, you know, why don't you try to do this? It's like, shut up. Just tell me to do it. Yeah. (laughs) That's the other thing I would just personally, I really struggle with is that the voice, like, you know, who, who am I? Am I speaking about myself? Am I shifting constantly between my story and what I think we should do? You know, it's just, there's so many ways into that. And that, that's something that. That's I really huh? and many times we use we and you and yeah. I and and how am I to presuppose that you're gonna feel this way? Why am I using the word you? I know it's writing's hard, Julie. Oh. Yeah, it's just so hard. It's and, so hard. And I can't wait for your book to come out. Oh, thanks. I appreciate it. Well, I appreciate everything that you've done. I mean, all your support and everything you've taught me. And um, you do have a course, right? I'm going to be doing it again in the spring. This course really is for aspiring writers and also people who have already written books. And we we really do look for six weeks. We play with voice. I mean, really playing. We don't, there's no real thing that you're supposed to get out of this. And then the second six weeks, you pick a project. It could be, you know what, I want to do, I just want to keep working on my my personal writing or I'm, I have this book idea or whatever. And so we, we start playing with how to take your voice and move it into information. And then the third module for six weeks is, is that you start, you know, you keep writing and we become a community already. And then I start to bring in other voices like Beth, of course, will come and, and I'll teach people how to write a book proposal, which you know is a challenge. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think we should mention that briefly, that m- most people think that if you want to write a book and get it published, that you have to write the book and then go get it published. And that's not really the way it works. You know, yeah. you, you write a book proposal um, and then send that to the publishing companies and try and get them to make, give you a contract. And then based on that contract, you go and write the book. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So then we'll, we'll deal with, you know, self-publishing and contract publishing and all that in that. So it's a really, we've really had a lot of fun, Givena. We have 18 people and, and yeah, it's so many different voices and, and so much love and support for one another that I'm having a great time. And And what's your, how do people find you? Uh, Is it your website? Yeah, and it's, I mean, my website is is not up to date, but it's going to be. So yeah, 
<laughs> you can find me through my website. And the, the other one last thing, um, I always like to leave people with a question um, at the end of each podcast. Can you think of a question that really speaks to the topic here? This idea of, um, you know, sharing, sharing your story, speaking, wow. um, sharing your voice. Wow. I guess I'm not sure, Jeevan. I, I, I want to say, what will it take for you to trust your own voice and to offer it as a gift to others? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. What will it take for you to trust your own voice and offer it as a gift to others? That's beautiful. Thanks, Linda. Thanks for your time and, and for all that you've done um, for so many of us, encouraging oh. us to share our stories. Thank you for helping me. Oh, well, you're so welcome. And, and I can't wait. I cannot wait for that book to come out. It's, it's <laughs> no pressure. I know it is. I'm really excited. Maybe this year is the year that I also get back to writing. So Yay. we will see. Yes. Book yeah. number eight. <laughs> We will see how that goes. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Mike. a good one. All right. Thank you so much. Okay. Take Take care. Bye. Thanks for joining us for another week of the podcast. I hope this conversation was inspiring to you. I know it was to me as a business owner who's moving forward in these really uncertain times. And if you've been craving some more tangible support in your journey as an entrepreneur, as a yoga teacher, maybe you have some ideas for what you want to create and offer, but aren't really sure how to see them through. I'm so excited to tell you about our newest offering at the Accessible Yoga School, which is called Retreat to Spirit mentorship, connecting your yoga business to heart-centered service. It's facilitated by Pamela Stokes Eggleston and Amina Naru, and enrollment is opening on March 23rd. This is a really unique opportunity to get practical guidance and learn how to develop an impactful, distinctive, and successful yoga career that's based in yoga philosophy and ethics. It's a mentorship program where you'll learn things like community building skills, how to build a network that really works for you professionally how to develop your marketing and communication techniques to make you an effective teacher and business owner, how to understand cultural barriers as they relate to health and well-being and to build a business that supports equity and social justice. And really the overall theme is to develop compassionate leadership skills, business competence, and business integrity. Pam and Amina are committed to helping other teachers find a way to expand their offerings while staying true to yoga and to their work dismantling white supremacy. They are both internationally recognized leaders in the field of service and yoga with over 30 years of combined experience. And their unique leadership style provides people who are seeking more joy, peace, and happiness with their tools of mentorship and education and compassionate leadership so that they can create spaces for growth and transformation. So we hope you'll come check out this Retreat to Spirit Mentorship. It's a really unique program where you focus on a project like pivoting your yoga studio to move it online or something like that. Um, They will be offering guidance and support for the challenges that are really unique to us as yoga business owners. This course runs April 1st through June 22nd and enrollment opens on March 23rd. We'd love to have you join us and there are scholarships and payment plans and sliding scale tuition available. So check out all the details at AccessibleYogaTraining.com where you can also subscribe to the podcast, leave us feedback and tell us what you'd like to hear us talk about on this show. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you have a great week. See you next time.